0: Shameless Media. This episode of The Shameless Book Club is brought to you by Audible, the home of storytelling. Download the Audible app and start listening today. A good writer can create an entire universe with nothing more than words. But what happens when real life is even more outrageous than a story in a book? Welcome to Stranger Than Fiction, where we investigate the intriguing world of writers and the bizarre reality behind some of the world's most famous stories. I'm your host, Eilish Gilligan, and today I'm joined by Melbourne writer and Shameless Media co-founder, Michelle Andrews. Hi, I am so excited for this. Yay! (laughs) (laughs) So, Stranger Than Fiction is the monthly series where we recap the most bizarre stories to rock the lit world. And today we're going to be talking about an author named Naomi Wolf. Have you heard of her before, Mish?
1: I have. Um, The beauty myth? Yes. And uh, was she like a popular, uh, not like mainstream feminist icon, but almost like conservative feminist icon maybe a little
0: bit? That's a really good venture. She actually was like a mainstream feminist icon, which is like kind of fascinating to look back on knowing what we know about her now okay so i think we should just dive straight in (laughs) please (laughs) before we get started though there is a little bit of a trigger warning here this episode gets a little bit heavy in some parts including some mentions of eating disorders homophobia and sexual abuse so just take care okay american feminist author naomi wolf had her first book Published in 1990. Oh, you've got it here. You've got got it as a prop. Right here as a prop. (laughs) She was just 28 years old. It was called The Beauty myth. how images of beauty are used against women. And the front cover of the first edition shows like a Renaissance oil painting of a naked woman standing like very dramatically next to like big title text. Right. In this version that I've got here, which is actually like one of those special classic editions, it's like an hourglass. Yeah, it's sand moving through an hourglass. Which I think is meant to be like a poignant commentary on... Aging or what? Aging or the woman's figure. Oh, yes, maybe both. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) So have you ever read this book? No,
1: I did do like gender politics or gender studies when I was at university. Mm -hmm. And I think at the time our lecturer or our tutor made us read the beauty myth or parts of it, maybe Mm. like one chapter, Mm -hmm. and then compare it to like a different wave of feminism. Oh, interesting. So I think that's how
0: I was introduced to Naomi Wolf and how I kind of knew about the beauty myth. This is what Naomi posits. Mm. Women are being forced to adhere to unrealistic and at times impossible beauty standards, and this keeps them small and weak. So here's an excerpt. The more legal and material hindrances women have broken through, the more strictly and heavily and cruelly images of female beauty have come to weigh upon us. 33,000 American women told researchers that they would rather lose 10 to 15 pounds than achieve any other goal. More women have more money and more power and scope and legal recognition than we have ever had before. But in terms of how we feel about ourselves physically, we may actually be worse off than our unliberated grandmothers. Right. Yeah. I mean, it's an interesting theory. And honestly, I do think it holds some merit. Mm. Um, Would you agree? Yeah. I I think everything you just read out then rings kind of true. Yeah. She's not necessarily wrong. This book was written during Naomi's time at Oxford, where she studied for two years after completing her undergraduate degree in English literature at Yale so she was actually criticized at oxford for this kind of writing which her oxford tutor described as polemical and personal and i didn't know what polemical meant (laughs) (laughs) so i had to look it up it's just another word for like strongly critical of something Mm -hmm. so she was criticized for this style of writing and she failed to submit her thesis and this failed thesis actually turned into the beauty myth so It does have a bit of an academic bent to it, but it's worth noting that her work in academia in this area, when she was getting started, was actually criticized.
1: Right, interesting, okay.
0: Regardless, the beauty myth was an absolute cultural phenomenon. So it rose to the top of bestseller lists quickly and enjoyed glowing praise upon release from prominent feminist Germaine Greer, who called the beauty myth the most important feminist publication since her own book. (laughs) (laughs) I love that. We love a gal who backs herself
1: in. That that really tickled me when I read that. The most important work in lit since
0: my own
1: work not too long ago.
0: (laughs) (laughs) And Gloria Steinem said a smart, angry, insightful book and a clarion call to freedom. Every woman should read it. Right. So, it was almost like a call to arms
1: for some women. It feels like it galvanized a lot of women and was important for its time.
0: Totally. And also, it's really accessible. Like, it's easy to read, Mm. um, but it has the backing of all these quote-unquote statistics and research that Naomi has done to give it weight. Right. So, you do feel like you're reading something that's, like, been very well-researched. So the message of the beauty myth spoke to millions of women around the world, but the text was not received completely without criticism. So writing for the New York Times in 1991, critic Karen James wrote thoughtfully, even by the standards of pop cultural feminist studies, the beauty myth is a mess. Miss Wolf doesn't begin to prove her theories because her logic is so lame, her (gasps) evidence is easily knocked down. Oh. Her statistics are shamefully secondhand and outdated when she makes the preposterous claim that in the United States, only 48% of women use contraception regularly. Her source is a 1984 pop psychology book called Swept Away, Why Women Confuse Love and Sex. And who knows where these old numbers came from.
1: Okay. So this is like a very particular criticism that the research is dodgy.
0: Yes. And this is something that is going to haunt Naomi for her entire career, pretty much. but Gal went to Yale, so she can't be... Like, she's pretty educated, right? This is the fascinating part about this story. This is a smart woman. Mm. This is a very, very intelligent woman, actually. And yet... Her research is consistently faulty. Okay. As we're going to discover. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) So the beauty myth, while incredibly popular, had not been entirely fact-checked prior to publication with incredibly detrimental results. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) The most investigated error found in the book was the cited statistics about anorexia sufferers in the United States in 1990. Okay. Have you heard this?
1: I think I vaguely recall something
0: about this. Yes, this is fascinating. In the beauty myth, Naomi states that in America, 150,000 women died from anorexia per year. Oh, that sounds so wrong. (laughs) 150,000. If that statistic was factual, it would mean that annually anorexia killed more people in the United States than Alzheimer's disease. Oh my God. Where did she get that from? Was this like a typo for 1500? Well... The statistic was, of course, incorrect. Author Christina Hoff Summers traced the original statistic of 150,000 to the American Anorexia and Bulimia Association, who said they had been, quote, misquoted in the beauty myth because apparently the 150,000 statistic actually referred to sufferers of the disease. Of course. Not deaths. Oh, my God. That is such a colossal
1: fuck up. It's pretty bad. Yeah. And you would think that an editor or even Naomi Wolf herself reading her words back would think, hang on, 150,000 people. That's more than, I know this is using a Melbourne term. That's one and a half of the MCG literally every year from eating disorders or anorexia in
0: particular. Not even just eating disorders in general, specifically anorexia. anorexia. Yeah. Wow. Okay. Yeah. Bit of a disaster. And it's really interesting that you say like, where are the editors? What was mm. going on? Because this, again, is another through line <laughs> that we're going to identify as we go on. So a 2004 academic paper by Kasper Schumacher titled A Critical Appraisal of the Anorexia Statistics in the Beauty Myth" found that on average, there were at the time about 525 deaths caused by anorexia per year in the United States. Okay. In fact, based on statistics from peer-reviewed epidemiological studies, Schumacher found that any statistic on anorexia in the beauty myth should be divided by eight to get near to the real statistic.
1: Oh, and if you're writing a book called The Beauty Myth, all about how society's expectations of how women look, like that's your whole premise. Yeah. Anorexia and eating disorders very neatly fall into that kind of remit and that territory, mm-hmm. and you're you're inflating your numbers by a factor of eight on average. Mm-hmm. That is so bad. Yeah, because eating disorders are a huge issue. As I Absolutely. mean, we don't even we don't even need to say that. Yeah. in twenty twenty three. Like we know eating disorders are a massive problem culturally. Mm-hmm.
0: It's also really upsetting too because it's like in 1990, 1991, the conversation around eating disorders was a lot different Mm. and in a way she's doing a good thing by putting forward the fact that eating disorders are a massive problem in society. Mm. However, She's so incorrect with her statistics and so misguided that it really discredits the good stuff that she's saying. Yeah, it also lends itself to creating like a moral panic about eating
1: disorders, which of course, let's be concerned about them. But it would contribute to a level of maybe cultural hysteria to say that this is a massive issue that needs immediate attention and like a complete overhaul of, I don't know, health practices and how we're tackling this.
0: Yeah, it's it's pretty bad. (laughs) So regardless of the factual inaccuracies, Naomi's debut was such a hit that people wanted more. In fact, now this is crazy to me, (laughs) the beauty myth was so impactful that Naomi was hired as a political consultant for Bill Clinton's re-election campaign in 1996. Yep. Okay. She then went on to advise Al Gore's unsuccessful presidential campaign in 2000. According to the New York Times, Naomi was tapped for the advisory roles for her thoughts on how the campaigns could reach out to women voters and for her remarkably prescient analyses of the social cultural trends in the country. I also read that Naomi was required to give her comments on Al Gore's wardrobe as well. Oh my God.
1: (laughs) Wow. So were these politicians kind of tapping her on the shoulder to say, you clearly know how to reach an audience, you know how Mm. to talk to women
0: voters in particular? I think that was the idea. So let's have a little recap. Despite any factual inaccuracies, Naomi had a crazy bestseller on her hands and it was all about feminist theory and she also had a position as an advisor to the president and aspiring president by the year 2000. So Naomi Wolf as a young woman like she was only 28 when she wrote this is in an incredibly powerful position at this point. So I want to talk a little bit about her next books. She's written a lot of books. So between 1991 and 2000, Naomi wrote and published two more feminist theory books, Fire With Fire in 1993 and Promiscuities in 1997. In 2001, she published Misconceptions, which chronicled her experience as a first time mother. Writing for the New York Times in 2001, critic Claire Dederer wrote, Maybe it's time to rethink what exactly this maddening writer does. Maybe we should stop thinking of Naomi Wolf as a political theorist and instead call her a memoirist. Her last book, Promiscuities, was panned for being self-indulgent, but it's full of fine writing on growing up as a sexual girl. She betrays the reader's sympathy. First, she subtly etches her own life story, then she goes dumb wonk on us.
1: Right. So the too long didn't read version of that would be she's amazing at speaking from her own experience. But as soon as she tries to zoom out and apply it to other people, she gets
0: a little wobbly. Or even as soon as she tries to use like science Mm -hmm. or culture or society to explain why she is that way. Yeah. She goes a bit off the track. Okay. so let's fast forward a little bit to 2012 when Naomi published perhaps her most highly criticized book to this point, Vagina, a new biography.
1: <laughs> Vagina was the name of the book. Yep. Okay. And it was another nonfiction bit of
0: work. Another memoir slash nonfiction slash commentary. Okay. Yeah. It's okay. almost as if part of the problem here is like the blurry genre Yeah, interesting. So Vagina chronicled Naomi's relationship with her own vagina and sexuality in her now well-known writing style of personal memoir mixed with quote-unquote research okay Okay. (laughs) so the new york times labeled naomi's research methodology for vagina as shoddy while suzanne moore wrote for the guardian vagina gets dodgy when wolf drags in some neuroscience as evidence and appears more clueless than someone who has failed her chemistry gcsc but has two ted talks on her iphone (laughs) okay ouch <laughs> that is so brutal <laughs> wow okay <laughs> so can you like see the progression of these critic
1: yeah reviews? it yeah. sounds like at the beginning of, of her career what she was saying was so fresh for the time and mm-hmm. so kind of galvanizing yeah and i think we see this play out with public figures all the time you see the outpouring of love the outpouring of feelings almost towards this person hmm that any kind of really robust analysis getting into the weeds of what they're actually saying is... Everyone just chooses to ignore it and goes, no, 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 that's not the mood. We love this person for now. And then over time, as those feelings fade, the really robust factual analysis starts to come to the fore and people go, wait a second, that's been there the whole time. Yeah. And we haven't wanted to pay attention to it. Totally.
0: That's essentially the story of Naomi Wolf. (laughs) So, unfortunately... The negative press for Naomi's work was only going to get worse from here on out. And also it's worth noting too, by the way, that these negative reviews, which are incredibly condemning and damning, didn't stop her from getting book deals. Like she has written so many books to this point. Yeah. So we have to take a slight detour now to cover some of Naomi's more unfortunate public opinions. On October 4, 2014, Naomi published a series of posts on her Facebook page. As per a report from Vox titled, The Insane Conspiracy Theories of Naomi Wolf... Quote, in these posts, she questioned the veracity of the ISIS videos showing the murders and beheadings of two Americans and two Britons, strongly implying that the videos had been staged by the U.S. government and that the victims and their parents were actors.
1: What? yeah this is one of those things where you see a public figure become famous for one thing and then their ego gets a little big and they decide to comment a whole range of things that are outside their kind of expertise mm-hmm. and then they just start absolutely trashing their own reputation why would she say that even if that's your gut feeling which in and of itself is problematic why do you feel so confident that you want to tell the world about it why shouldn't you feel confident Oh, I guess everyone. Yeah. So many people have bolstered her to this point. Maybe she's bolstered herself as well. Totally. Well, all of her books sell really, really well. Mm. She believes that if she says what she thinks, it will resonate
0: and it will be rewarded. So the report continued. Wolf published a separate Facebook post also on Saturday suggesting that the U.S. was sending troops to West Africa not to assist with Ebola treatment, but to bring Ebola back to the U.S. to justify a military takeover. Oh, no. Yeah. Yeah. It's bad. Oh, Naomi, why? It's a good question. Why? Yeah. Yeah. It's got undertones of racism to it as well. Oh, a million percent. She also suggested that the Scottish independence referendum in which Scots voted to remain in the United Kingdom had been faked. Mm. (laughs) That's really out of left field as well. Okay. A lot of this is out of left field, to be honest. It's like, why? (laughs) Why? Why are you commenting on this? (laughs) She's an expert on uk and european politics now okay these posts were met with intense criticism as they should be seeing as naomi was at this point a relatively well respected author academic and former political advisor
1: okay and she's saying a lot of this on social media she's saying it on facebook classic yeah That that is where
0: some of the worst opinions tend to be held. It truly is. shit. So publishing these obviously false claims was not only offensive, but downright dangerous, as many of her followers would obviously see her as a quote voice of reason. And also be like, oh, well, she's been there, like with presidents and aspiring presidents. Like, she knows what's going on. Mm. It's very dangerous. As per The Independent, Vox.com journalist Max Fisher branded her ideas wild eyed conspiracy theories that could be harmful to an impressionable audience given her record of respectability. It is important for readers who may encounter Wolf's ideas to understand the distinction between her earlier work, which rose on its merits, and her newer conspiracy theories, which are unhinged, damaging, and dangerous. Okay.
1: Yeah. It's interesting that you can kind of, I don't know, maybe draw a line in the sand to be like, it's her earlier work that we will take on board.
0: Yeah. But Mm. even her earlier work. Well, the anorexia stuff didn't have merit. Yeah. Exactly. Even a lot of her earlier research was just plain incorrect yeah so in 2015 naomi returned to oxford to complete her phd in fact she actually rewrote her doctoral thesis from this time to form the basis of her 2019 book outrages sex censorship and the criminalization of love the themes explored in outrages were a slight departure from naomi's typical writing so she's branching out okay in the book Naomi focuses on Victorian era law and enforcement surrounding homosexuality, particularly gay men, and the repression and punishments suffered by anyone who was convicted of homosexual acts or, quote, sodomy at this time. To give context to her research and thesis, she focused on the English poet John Addington Simmons' life story and his, quote, private efforts to grapple with this homosexuality. So Outrages was published in the UK on May 20, 2019. The day after publication... On May 21, 2019, Naomi Wolf appeared on BBC Radio 3 in conversation with host, historian and journalist, Dr. Matthew Sweet, to promote the book. Doctor, we have an expert in the room. We have an expert in the Victorian era In the room. Okay. Very specifically, an expert in this era. Okay. (laughs) So, this interview would soon prove to be a pivotal moment in Naomi's career and a turning point for her public image. (laughs) Okay. In brackets, finally. Don't you hate those days when your schedule is so jam-packed that you feel like you have no time to stop and get stuck into a good book? Me too. But luckily, our friends at Audible have got us covered. Audible gives you the ability to listen to your favourite audiobook hands-free on the go so you can always get your source of entertainment no matter how busy you are. I personally love listening to Audible while walking my dog Basil in the morning or cooking dinner after work. An audiobook that I've had on my list for a while has been The Seven Husbands of Evelyn Hugo by Taylor Jenkins Reid. I know I'm late to the party with this one. For those who haven't heard of it, the audiobook follows Evelyn Hugo, a Hollywood movie star who is ready to spill the beans to unknown magazine reporter Monique Grant about her glamorous and scandalous life. It's the perfect story to keep you entertained while you are going about your daily chores. Audible has an extensive collection of audiobooks in their library, so if you are in need of some hands-free entertainment, start listening today. Download the Audible app to browse and listen to their audiobooks, podcasts and Audible originals. Thank you so much to Audible for making this episode of The Shameless Book Club possible. Matthew and Naomi begin their conversation by talking about the life of John Addington Simmons and his efforts to hide but also understand his own sexuality, all amongst a climate of intense Victorian era homophobia. So Naomi contended that John was constantly under scrutiny for his private life at the workplace and by his family, peers and colleagues, and at that time there was a quote, moral panic surrounding gay sex in Britain. The conversation is lively and interesting and flows supernaturally between Naomi and Matthew. There is an easy chemistry between the two. That is until one very awkward moment. About 10 minutes into this interview, Naomi mentioned that John Addington Simmons' sexuality not only threatened his professional life and reputation, but his life, period. She said, that by being gay in the mid-1800s in Britain, John Addington Simmons was risking execution as per the law at the time. What followed this statement was a pretty hefty fact check live on air. (laughs) We're actually going to listen to this because it needs to be heard to be believed. You get sentences, as I mentioned, of penal servitude for 10 or 15 years. And I found like several dozen executions uh but that was again only looking at the um
2: old bailey records and the crime tables uh, several originally. dozen executions correct and this corrects the no, misapprehension that. um that is in every
0: website that the last man was executed for sodomy in britain in, in 1835
2: i don't i don't think you're right about this one of the cases that you look at that, that, that's salient in your report is that of thomas silver It says, um, teenagers were now convicted more often. Indeed, that year, uh, which is 1859, um, 14-year-old Thomas Silver was actually executed for committing sodomy. The boy was indicted for an unnatural offence, guilty, death recorded. This is the first time the phrase unnatural offence entered the Old Bailey records. Thomas Silver wasn't executed. Death Recorded, I, I was really surprised by this and I, I, I looked it up, Death Recorded is that is what's in? I think most of these cases that you've uh, um, you've identified as executions, it doesn't mean that he was executed. <gasps> it was a category that was created in 1823 that oh. allowed judges to abstain from pronouncing a sentence of death on any capital convict whom they considered to be a fit subject for pardon. I don't think any of the executions you've identified here actually happened.
0: Oh my god! Well, that's a really important thing to investigate. Oh. What, is your, what is your understanding of well, what death recorded means? Stop. Death recorded.
2: So this is <laughs> also from I've just read you the definition of it there from the old Bailey website.
0: It's so. But bad. I've got here
2: a newspaper report about Thomas Silver and also something uh, from uh, from the prison records that that show the date of his discharge.
0: <gasps> the prisoner was found guilty and sentence of death was recorded.
2: Yeah. Ah. But, see, but The, the jury next...
0: recommended the prisoner to mercy on account of his youth.
2: See, I think this. I think this is a kind of when I found this I didn't really know what to do with it because I think it is I think it's quite a big problem with your argument oh. also it's the nature of the offence here Thomas Silver committed an indecent assault on a six year old boy and he he served two and a half years for it in Portsmouth Prison which you know, it doesn't seem too excessive, really. And I wonder about all the others, because all the others that I've that I followed up, I can't find any evidence that, that any of these relationships that you described were consensual. The, the other one you offer is um, James Spencer, a 60-year-old tutor. Uh, he was a, 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 a teacher who committed what was described as felonious assaults on schoolboys. Oh, I mean, no. One of these cases you offer is a bestiality case uh, and not a, not a buggery case.
1: Oh,
0: Oh my God. So just to clarify, Mm -hmm. there's a lot of unfortunate events that (sighs) led to this conclusion. First of all, being sodomy as a charge in the 18th century did not just cover gay relationships and that's kind of how she's reading it. Interpreted it. So sodomy covered everything that Dr. Sweet had said in that clip, including really awful things. The next unfortunate event was that Naomi read Death Recorded and took it on face value, which, you know, most people would. But if you're a scholar... Like execution recorded almost. That's her interpretation of Death Recorded. Okay. Yeah. But if you're a scholar, you would know that Death Recorded in that context actually meant the complete opposite. And it meant either the prisoner was pardoned or they were a candidate for like rehabilitation or something like that. Wow. Yeah.
1: How interesting that that was the terminology used at the time. I can understand how she was briefly confused when she was writing this book, but surely there was enough research and looking into it and editing. Well, literally. To catch this before she's promoting it and it's out in the world. Right? It's been published in a book. And it's already been picked up by people and it's in bookstores. And this happens to you on, I'm guessing, national radio. I every <laughs> cell in my body would die. Yeah. And oh. she seems
0: like really
1: chill. The he seems part. so lovely about it as well. Like he's really direct to say, like, this yeah. is a really considerable concern of
0: mine, essentially. Mm-hmm. But he's saying it to her with such compassion. (laughs) I have never heard such professionalism in that kind of context because he is a historian specifically in that area. Yeah. So he's very passionate about... The particulars. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I mean, like, this isn't even a particular. This is like... <laughs> like a base definition. <laughs> For what she's talking about.
1: Yeah. He was... The way he spoke to her, it'd be so easy to let your ego get in the way. Totally. Because if you were an expert in that area... Yeah. And this hotshot author walks in mm-hmm. who's had their work really widely criticized for not being factually robust, mm-hmm. it would be very easy to let your ego get in the way and to patronize them.
0: Really living up to his name of Matthew Sweet.
1: Yeah. <laughs> what a guy. What a guy.
0: <laughs> so the craziest thing to me is he literally said in that clip, it was on the website. Like he literally. <laughs> <laughs> like, I just Googled this. <laughs> <laughs> like, literally, he practically said, um, I actually Googled this and the oh. way that you've, like, interpreted this is incorrect. <laughs> no.
1: Oh, I know she's in the wrong, but I do feel her <laughs> a little bit. Do you really? I think I just, I don't feel for her on a level where I'm like, she's a victim in all of this. I just, I don't think I could see anyone be publicly shamed on this scale Mm -hmm. and not in my gut feel like oh that is a little bit gut-wrenching
0: that's nice (laughs) (laughs) i don't feel the same (laughs) i think i just like I've looked into this so much and I still can't understand how she didn't clarify this term like if you're gonna be if you're doing your PhD which is what this research (laughs) is based on doing your PhD in this field and you don't know the actual definition of death recorded like I'm worried you know (laughs) I'm concerned I think we're all worried
1: (laughs) it's like how many years have passed I'm four years have passed I'm still worried
0: yeah (laughs) so to be fair and like we just covered the interview never shifted from like polite, impassioned conversation to Matthew Sweet's credit, I think. And this attitude continued between Matthew and Naomi over the next few days via social media. So in a lengthy thread on Twitter... Because this was live, by the way, everyone, everyone heard this live. So everyone's like (laughs) listening, being like, uh, we need answers, Naomi. Yeah. So in a lengthy thread on Twitter, Naomi pledged to review her research, even though the book had already been published in the UK. (sighs)
2: So
0: for what it's worth, the book was not scheduled to be released in the US until June 18, 2019. But we will get to that in a second. So on May 23, 2019, Naomi wrote on Twitter, I would like to thank at Dr. Matthew Sweet for calling my attention to Thomas Silver, whose death sentence I report in my book, Outrages, was actually paroled two years (laughs) after having been convicted, not executed. The Old Bailey Record states death recorded the basis for my erroneous conclusion. When Matthew replied with his thanks, Naomi continued, Dr. Sweet, my thanks to you is substantial. Yeah,
2: (laughs) it should be.
0: these records of early prosecutions for sodomy and offenses by what we would call gay men deserve to be poured over in this way. The records are not unambiguous as you usefully pointed out, but are so important. And I am sincerely grateful. I am rechecking all of the sodomy convictions on Twitter in real time. So people can see for themselves what the sentences were and what became of each of these people. Yikes. So Matthew and Naomi continued to converse publicly on Twitter over the following days, which wasn't great news for Naomi, seeing as it turned out that she had actually got quite a lot wrong in
2: outrages.
1: (laughs) (laughs) She's like, I'll do a live fact check and we're at uh,
0: hundred and twenty-one It's another thing I got wrong. Literally, that's pretty much what happened. Uh, It's a fascinating thread. And again, we find ourselves in a situation where Naomi Wolf is like campaigning for the right idea in that it was very difficult to be gay in British society at this time in the yeah. mid 1800s but it's incorrect factually to say that people put men- to death exactly
1: for yeah it's like her her ambition is an admirable one mm-hmm. to speak about the difficulties that come with being a gay person mm-hmm. in the 1800s and yep. the 1850s But the execution leaves a lot to be desired
0: in that she's just arguing things that are factually incorrect. So Naomi's US publisher released a statement which said that they had decided to pull the book until a later date so that the errors could be corrected. So Naomi's US publisher, Horton Mifflin Harcourt, referred to the issues raised in the BBC interview as an unfortunate error, but also said, quote, we believe the overall thesis of the book Outrageous still holds. While the publisher employs professional editors, copy editors and proofreaders for each book project, we rely ultimately on authors for the integrity of their research and fact checking. So unfortunately for Naomi, the US publication of Outrageous was ultimately cancelled completely. Well, at least for now. As the New York Times reported in October 2019, in June, days before the book was expected to go on sale in the United States, Houghton Mifflin Harcourt postponed the publication and recalled copies from retailers, an unusual and costly move. Mm. Now it has pulled the book all together. A spokeswoman for Houghton Mifflin Harcourt said in an email that Miss Wolfe and the publisher quote, mutually and amicably agreed to part company. Oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> so for their part, Naomi's UK publisher vowed that future reprints of outrages would include, quote, necessary corrections. Which I just, I keep reading this like necessary corrections and like, we're going to fix it, we're going to fix it. How do you fix... <laughs> A book based on research that is inherently wrong. Like the whole premise is bad. Yeah. How are you going to save it from here? How? Yeah, you can't, right? You can't. I mean, that's what the US publisher ultimately decided. Like they couldn't fix it. So they, they walked pulled away. It. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So by the end of 2020, outrages had been made available both in the UK and in the US with Naomi striking a new deal with American publisher Chelsea Green Publishing. So according to both publishers, again, every book printed after the scandal had been corrected accordingly. There were some prominent experts that very much disagreed with the publishers on this front. So in a damning feature from The Telegraph, Naomi was accused of, quote, ignoring evidence of crimes against children to support her view of mid-Victorian Britain as a time when gay men were victims of aggressive persecution by the courts. Speaking to The Telegraph, Dr. Fern Riddle, a cultural historian and expert in sex and gender during the Victorian era, said that the book was a calumny against gay people of the time. Our mate, Matthew Sweet, also called out the, quote, corrected version of the book. As per The Telegraph, he said, This matters because scholarship matters and history matters. In half an hour's work online, I was able to discover the flaws in her work. It's
1: Yeah. I love that Matthew Sweet has
0: been like, enough of the nice guy Yeah, (laughs) I'm now officially pissed off. (laughs) In this feature, The Telegraph also noted that Naomi's PhD with Oxford, that is the research thesis that was the basis for outrages, was also being called into question, which it should be. (laughs) In her defense, Naomi released a statement via her lawyers, which read... I list examples of all types of behaviour criminalised in the 19th century in my book, and it is clear that I have accurately represented the position. My book was reviewed and checked by leading scholars in the area. On Twitter, Dr. Fern Riddle expanded on her comments for The Telegraph. She wrote, I have never been so angry about a book in my entire career. (laughs) That's not what you want someone tweeting about your book. (laughs) Uh (laughs) It took me an afternoon to fact check Wolf, something her publishers, editors, and more importantly, she, in capital letters, should have done after the BBC interview. We owe so many people an accurate retelling of their past, and gay men especially so. And I think that's why the errors in this book are so frightening, because Naomi had every opportunity to make it better.
1: That is the tragic part, honestly. That's
0: a good tweet. Banger tweet. This is not the end, unfortunately, of our story, but we're close to it. We have to descend even further down the rabbit hole, (laughs) Naomi Wolf. (laughs) So since the controversy surrounding outrages, Naomi has not published another book. Unfortunately, Naomi has instead turned her attention to conspiracy theories (laughs) pretty much
1: full time. Did you know this about Naomi? No, I mean, I had no idea about the conspiracy theories like Ebola and stuff that she was sharing Mm. earlier. So I had no idea what she's doing.
0: So we already knew that Naomi was somewhat vulnerable to misinformation and conspiracy theories due to her Facebook habits over the years. But I don't think anyone really foresaw the once lauded feminist author and academic falling into such an impenetrable rabbit hole of truly deranged beliefs. Oh, you're about to say COVID conspiracy?
1: I am actually. (laughs) (laughs) I was thinking about the timeline. I'm like, what would she fall to? Oh,
0: 2020, of course. So she's really, really fired up about COVID and vaccines against COVID in particular. Here's an example. According to the New Republic, Naomi once tweeted that she overheard an Apple employee who had apparently attended a top-secret demonstration describing vaccine technology that could enable time travel. <laughs> Sorry. Oh, that one kills no. me) <laughs> Really? <laughs> Did she really hear that? <laughs> oh, that's quite far-fetched. I know. Reminder, this woman was a political consultant. It's quite creative, yeah. It is. So she also suggested on Twitter that vaccinated people's urine and feces should be separated in the sewage system until their quote contaminating effect on our drinking water was properly studied. Mm. She headlined a Juneteenth anti-vaccination event. Juneteenth, for those who don't know, is a federal holiday in the US that celebrates the emancipation of African-Americans from slavery. Apparently, the organisers of this anti-vax event chose this date because it suggested that vaccines are slavery. Mm. It was around this time, which is early June 2021, that Naomi was banned from Twitter for spreading vaccine myths, as per The Guardian. As the pandemic continued, the author variously claimed that vaccines were a software platform that can receive uploads and that the best way to show respect for healthcare workers if you are healthy and under 65 is to socialize sensibly and expose yourself to a low viral load. Mm. The Guardian also made note of Twitter users' reactions to Naomi's ban. Her suspension was widely applauded on the social media platform. One tweet read, Congratulations to Naomi Wolf, who is, I think, the first person to be banned from here for being too stupid. Oh, Oh. wow. (laughs) Oh, dear. In a feature for The New Republic titled The Madness of Naomi Wolf, writer Liza Featherstone attempted to get to the bottom of Naomi's transformation from feminist icon to full-time conspiracy theorist. She wrote, The beauty myth author has gone from being a feminist icon to an anti-vaxxer banned by Twitter, but she's always struggled with the truth in the beauty myth. Wolf gives the reader the impression that eating disorders are an existential threat to the female human. It's not hard to say, of course, that even 50 deaths from anorexia are too many. Yet, at the best, most respected moment of her career, Wolf was reporting on a genocide that never occurred, with a narrative that's strikingly similar to QAnon's hysteria over trafficked children imprisoned in caves. Rather than be shocked at how far afield from reality Wolf has wandered, it's probably time to admit she's always been wrong.
1: Wow. Oh my goodness, what a good summation. (laughs) That's where we're going to end it. Eilish, what a journey. Yeah. Interesting, curious woman. What a woman. She
0: doesn't really like to get across her facts before she forms an opinion on them. And the fascinating thing that I came across when I was researching this story, after I'd finished it, I was just like, she's been doing some level of this for her entire career. You
1: can trace the kind of escalation, can't you? But it started in a place that was, from the very beginning, questionable. How interesting. And how long she got away with it. (laughs) Well, how strange. I know it's the title of the show, but how strange that it went unchecked for, what, 30
0: years almost? People were throwing up red flags. Like, critics were throwing up red flags, but... For some reason she she must be a very charismatic person and Mm. her books are very accessible they're very easy to read Mm. and they speak to something particularly in women i think her early work like (gasps) especially that said something it really Mm. spoke to them Mm. and it was popular for a reason and i think it's worth investigating why Mm. absolutely well thank you for taking me through it thank you so much for (laughs) being here so that is a wrap for Stranger Than Fiction for this month. Thank you so much for listening. You can follow The Shameless Book Club on Instagram and TikTok at The Shameless Book Club. Bye. Bye, guys.
1: This podcast was recorded on Wurundjeri land. Always was, always will be Aboriginal land.